Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat Beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, what's up? We're not in Vegas anymore, David. I know. <laughs> that was that was a fun trip. That was a fun trip. But we're both back in uh both back in Miami. Yeah, both back in Miami. Um both really ready to dive into the like the dog days of the off season. Um Heat wrapped up summer league on Tuesday. We're recording this Wednesday morning. I guess there's still some stuff going on out in Vegas right now, but the Heat are done. Um Oh, it's done. It, oh, it last, is done. Last night was a yeah. Tuesday night was a oh, championship game. I watched a championship, but I didn't even realize. I guess yeah. That was the that was, was the Celtics game. That was the championship. Celtics Sacramento. Sacramento won. Yeah. Oh, that wow. was it. I didn't even realize that was the championship. I was watching a champion be crowned, and I didn't even realize. The Kings are the champions. A sentence well, I thought I'm glad. Know. I'm glad I didn't bet on um, the uh, the summer league champion, which is something you can do in Vegas. I can't remember if we talked about this last week because. Uh, I, you know, I, I wasn't looking at either of those two teams on my radar. So, um, yeah, so Summer League wrapped up. I guess there could still be, like, some free agency stuff going on. But but for the Heat, basically done. There was a there was actually a, a T-Wolves trade yesterday, right? Uh, Patrick Beverly going yeah. to uh, Minnesota. So, so still some, some minor moves going on. Um, but for the most part, we're really into the dog days of the offseason. Um, but first, before we uh, – kind of go off off the wall, off the rails a little bit in the second half and find things to talk about. Let's wrap up Vegas. Let's wrap up Summer League. Uh, Heat, when we had recorded uh, last week, we were like, oh, this team is a, a Vegas juggernaut. They hadn't lost. Um, we recorded pretty much right after a double overtime Max Struess-led victory. Um, and then, you know, as happens in Vegas, uh, they lost a couple games in a row and um, – you know, the they didn't they didn't make the championship game obviously, um, but what what kind of have been were your your biggest takeaways from summer? Like we touched on a lot of the the kind of big topics last week. Struess, um, Yurts have been uh, the the battle for the two way spots. Uh, as we kind of finally put our, our final final points on this, what was your biggest takeaway? I mean, it has to be. I mean, there's a few obviously. Like there's right. a, a few guys who really stood out. Um, but year seven is has to be the biggest one. I mean, just because he opened summer league as a free agent, you thought, okay, best case scenario, maybe gets a two way deal, developmental guy. He's still a developmental guy, but he was good enough to earn a standard contract. Like he's going to be on the fifteen man roster, I guess, for, or for the Heat, the fourteen man roster next season. Um, and you know, some are even saying, like, does he get playing time because of his offensive skill set and how well it would play? You know. Uh, compliment Bam's game. Um, so I, that has to be the biggest kind of revelation from Summer League, just like you didn't really expect too much from this guy. And now you're talking about him maybe, and I don't think it's going to happen like to start the season, but him possibly maybe earning minutes like with the NBA team this year. So that was surprising. And, and, and he was really impressive. Like his, we talked about this for the past week or two, but his offensive skill set is um, very polished. He's very skilled. Like Malik Allen, the summer league head coach, was saying, like his, he's so skilled that sometimes it's a problem because you don't know how to. You like there's so many different ways he can score. So like you're trying to find the best way for him to score, and sometimes he gets in his head and makes things too complicated because you know he has so many different ways he could he could put points on the board. So 
I mean, obviously that's a good problem to have, but he, he's just a skilled seven-footer that can also shoot threes and score out of post-ups and has good touch around the basket. Um, that he, he needs to improve defensively, which has been a focus for him. He said Udonis was helping him on the, on the bench during summer league. Um, but you could definitely see the potential there. And I, and I just think it's interesting because, you know, you and I have spoken about finding a big man who can complement Bam's game, a guy who could stretch the floor and protect the rim. Well, they might have found one, an undrafted guy that was in G League last year that can make threes and, and like we said, is a good offensive player and proved to be a really good shot blocker too in summer league. So um, it, definitely interesting um, and one of those heat finds that really could pay off um, this season or in seasons to come. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's still sort of a, like, let's see it in the NBA game, right? For sure. It has to be, right? And that's why, for me, well, I guess we'll talk about these guys a little later on, but but the big, the really the big takeaway for me was was Struess, like, looking like one of the best offensive guys out there, like, looking like an NBA player, because I think we've seen it a little bit more in the NBA from him, and and the Heat are obviously going going to have to trust him a lot, and I think, you know, he checked those boxes, that, you know, check the boxes he needed to check in Vegas. But, yeah, you're right with the yurt. Um, that is kind of coming – going into – coming out of free agency, that was still, like, the one roster spot. The one spot on the floor where you're like, did they really fill this obvious need? Um, you know, obviously they brought back Deadman, who gives them something, right? He's We, we saw it last year. He He's, a, he's valuable. He provides um, – mm-hmm. You know, maybe not exactly what they're looking for next to Bam, but he gives them a look. He gives them that big look that they, you know, have missed, uh, that they missed a lot at times last year, including in that Bucks series where they obviously got killed on the boards. Um, you know, they got Markeith Morris, who I kind of still like, even though I know he was not good last year. Um, you know, we've, we've seen him do it before. We've seen him, you know, not play at an all-star level, but play at like a starting caliber level. Um, whether it was at times with the Lakers and really kind of just throughout his career. Um, but, yeah, you're right that if, if your seven can be something like what he was out in Vegas, obviously, you know, he's not going to be a driving force of the offense, but the versatility that you talk about on offense is really valuable when you when you talk about putting him next to Bam where he is, you know, Maybe it's not the best way to utilize his skill set, but he can just kind of stand out on the three-point line and, and shoot those with confidence. You know, we, we saw it in, in Vegas. Even when the shot's not falling, it seemed, you know, he seems pretty confident taking that. He's got, got some of that Jay Crowder to him. Um, he obviously just, you know, he can – if Bam is operating on, on the high post and, you know, doing his uh, dribble handoff stuff or trying to pass from up there – you know, you're at seven down near the hoop. If he gets the ball in his hand, there's a pretty good chance he's he's going to make uh, the turnaround or make the the hook shot. So I like his versatility. I like the idea of him, right? And and I think going into summer league, we we the idea of him was like, all right, this guy's the thirteenth man. And now there's like you can easily envision him being in the rotation, as you said. Is it a guarantee? No, but he's at least kind of put himself in that position and. Uh, you know, it, it checks off that that traditional center kind of spot, that that traditional center box that was kind of missing for this Heat team uh, coming out of free agency. Yeah, I just think it's it's 
it's just really interesting. Like we, we've been again, we've been talking about this kind of player for the past few years, and there aren't many of them in the NBA, right? I mean, you look at like Miles Turner, who's a pretty good three point shooter and is a good rim protector. Um, obviously, Joel Embiid is the best at that. He's like a decent three point shooter and is a, like a defensive player of the year candidate every season. Um, but there's only a few of those. Like even Kelly Olynyk, like yeah, he was a good three point shooter, but he wasn't a, a rim protector. You know, he wasn't a guy who got ten rebounds a game. Like that wasn't him. Myers Leonard, same thing. They weren't that on the defensive end. But, again, year seven has to grow into that. But you could see the skill set, and it's 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 a unique skill set. Like, he's a solid three-point shooter. He has a good stroke. He averaged, like, two to three blocks a game in summer league. He averaged 11 rebounds. Yeah, his, you know, those numbers will go down in the NBA, obviously. But he has the skill set. He's kind of, you know, still a work in progress. He's 23 years old. Yeah. Um. You know, played I guess four years in college, but you know, last year he just been in the G League, and and from what I heard, he was the backup in the G League. Like the guy, the starter in front of him, he was out playing the starter in front of him, and but he didn't get as much playing time. I don't know what the case was. I don't know if the guy was a veteran or what, but you know, year seven didn't get as much playing time as probably he should have in the G League. So he's kind of a work in progress. You've already seen the improvement here with the Heat, so it's just intriguing to see what he turns into, and if he's good enough next season like we've talked about like to play next to Bam because he, he does he could be a pretty perfect complement next to Bam offensively and defensively where he could stay down low and, and you know serve as a rim protector while Bam switches on the perimeter and guards different guys. Yeah the the, the rim protection part of it is pretty interesting right because like you were saying he like he doesn't have a reputation necessarily as like a post you know, rim protector, lockdown. Obviously, he doesn't have much of a reputation as anything right now. But, but I think, you know, even coming out of college, like, he was like, all right, this guy's got a pretty good offensive skill set. Is he going to be able to hang on defense in the NBA? Um, but, you know, he was blocking <laughs> blocking shots in Vegas. Like, you know, he's seven foot. I don't know, you know, what his wingspan is, but it seems pretty good. Like, he's got certainly the tools for it. Um, and, you know, that kind of – I'm always a little – kind of, yeah, I think of it with, like, Enns Canner, who's got this reputation as a terrible, terrible defender, but, like, this really, you know, good footwork on offense, all that kind of stuff moves well on offense. I'm always like, those guys should be able to become good defenders, right? If you've got the the coordination, the athleticism right. to be good on offense, there's no excuse for you not to be good on defense. And I kind of feel like watching your seven move, um, like, you, you see it, right? You, you know, is he... Obviously, we ha- like again. We we got to see it in the NBA. You know, the athletes are totally different. The game is totally different in summer league compared to the NBA, compared to the G League. Um, but the skill he has on offense, the coordination he has, the athleticism he has um, at seven foot, uh, which I think is you know pretty good, um, and then just like being seven foot and having that wingspan, and and again, he like I said, he. He, he piled up some blocks in Vegas, so you see he's got at least some of that, like, nose for the ball, kind of. Um, but you, you can see why there's a there's a belief that he could, in, you know, the, the Heat trust their development, obviously, um, could turn your seven into a, a pretty decent enough two-way player. And that, again, like, that, that's all they really need, right? Like, they don't need your seven to be uh, – even a starter, basically. They need him to be good enough and, and hang for whatever those minutes are, split time with Deadman, uh, you know, split time with the Heat small ball lineups, give them an option. And I think coming out of Vegas, 
I have to think that he'd think he's an option at this point. Yeah. And, and, and one more interesting thing about your, your seven is he made an you know, he kind of went into detail about what he's working on defensively. And I guess, you know, at seven feet, you're, he's used to dropping into the paint, just kind of like what Brooke Lopez did to the Heat in the playoffs last year. Um, but the Heat are trying to get him to hedge the pick and rolls and, like, step out to contain the ball handler and slow him down, which is different for him. And, and he's he's kind of talked about the adjustment and, and trying to um, play that type of coverage, which he, I don't, it doesn't seem like he's done much in the past, you know, obviously at his size. Um, so you, you see the Heat trying to, like, kind of stretch his limits a little bit and see what he could do on the defensive end just because that's the way that he play. Like, they don't really play drop coverage like that. Even when Hassan was here, like, they wanted Hassan out on the perimeter um, rather than just sinking into the paint and blocking shots, which, you know, Hassan loved to do. Obviously, he was, he was a great shot blocker. Um, but they want your seven on the perimeter, too. And, and like you said, I think they I think they see his athleticism, his footwork on the offensive, and they think he can do that defensively. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And that's kind of the point that Udonis, I guess, was making to – to your seven as well, just kind of like, don't be afraid to step out there and step in front of the ball handler. Like you, you have the skill set to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned Struess up at the top, and and to me that's that's where I, what I would kind of uh, put in as the biggest takeaway is that that guy looks like he's whereas you're you see the idea of it. Yeah, right? he's an NBA player, Max Struess. Right, yeah. Max Struess is an NBA player, and I think I think we kind of knew that going into Vegas. Um, you know, we, we knew he could at least play whatever, you know, whatever minutes he played last year, he was pretty effective. You know, I don't know what, like, all the advanced stats say, but, like, when he was out there in the NBA game last, in NBA games last year, he didn't look out of place. Um, and I think just in Vegas where he had more responsibility, obviously this was, I guess, the first time we saw him in Vegas, right? Was he, he was a rookie technically last year, or did he play... I get confused with the undrafted guys uh, about when they actually uh, come into the NBA uh, because the Heat seems to get them at so many different points. But, you know, that's what an NBA player is supposed to do in Vegas. They're supposed to look like the most competent, comfortable guy out on the floor, and that's what Max Struess did. You know, I'm not going to put him in, um, you know, uh, Sam Vecini did a, a thing this week about, like, the guys who are too good for Vegas, too good for Summer League, and it was – um, you know, Desmond Bain was on there, Emmanuel Quickly. Um, you know, I'm not going to put him in that conversation of the guys who just, like, kind of were, like, overwhelmingly comfortable and kind of dominated their games. But I think Strews is, is kind of in that, that next tier of, you know, the kind of the most impressive rookies, right, where you look at them and you're like, all right, this guy is ready to play in the NBA. And for Strews just to, like, Go out there with that confidence. I, I think I guess the confidence is kind of the biggest thing, right? You, you know, you compare him to some of the, the point guards who are, I'm sure we're going to talk about who looked in, you know, who flashed, and that's like, all right, those, that guy's interesting. And you know, Yurt I guess is kind of an in between there where he looked confident throughout and comfortable, but we just haven't seen it in the NBA. Um, but there, you know, those are the two things you look for, right? You look for the flashes and you look for just how comfortable, how confident, how steady does a guy seem? And, and Struess checked those boxes, and that was really what was important for him in Vegas because we know the shooting ability. Um, we know that he's you know, maybe a little bit has, – has a little bit more defensive potential than, than kind of a typical just like straight-up three-point shooter, three-point specialist. Uh, but, you know, he looked like – he looked like a guy who went to Vegas and knew like, all right, I should be like – 
I'm an NBA player and all these guys are fighting for jobs. Um, and that's, that is the situation with him and, and he looked the part. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not here to critique Max Struess because he, he did play very well. Um, but the one area that I saw that, you know, and he's not going to be using this role in the NBA, but, you know, you could tell that they were trying to see, right. to expand his role in Summer League, like as a ball handler and maybe as a facilitator. In Vegas, he had 13 turnovers and 10 assists. So, yeah. and I think in Sacramento was even a little bit, the ratio was a little bit even worse or comparable to that. Like, he he still has room to grow, obviously, offensively as as like a, a playmaker or as a guy Robinson off the dribble. Yet. No, right? He's not Duncan. It's kind of crazy to say, but yeah, he's not Duncan Robinson yet. <laughs> but he's not Duncan Robinson, the playmaker yet. Get compared to a lot. Yeah, no, it's true. But but I mean, the biggest, the most encouraging thing is his three point shooting. Like, say what you want about him last year, and he was good. He didn't really shoot good from three, which is the surprising part. Like he even admits it. Like I, I he was kind of a streaky three point shooter last season. Yeah. Um, he didn't show up to his standards, but in Vegas he shot um forty percent on threes. Um, he took pretty much he took eleven a game like that. You could tell like that's kind of what he was working on, like just all, taking all types of different threes, like on the move, that's a good point. off the dribble, spot up. He was he was letting them fly, and and they went at a really high rate. So, um, you know that's an encouraging sign for him because that's that's what he's going to be used as, like with the Heat. He's going to yeah. be – when Duncan Robinson's off the floor and they need shooting, Max Struess is going to come into the game, and he's going to be relied on to make threes. And he did them. He did that in a variety of ways in summer league. Yeah, the variety of threes is a good point because, again, this guy's going to get compared to Duncan a lot, and that is really what makes Duncan Robinson so great. He's, you know, he's great at shooting the wide-open threes, but the way the Heat's offense works, uh, as we've talked about a lot with their, their kind of lack of um, – three-point shooters in the primary ball handler spots, although Kyle Lowry obviously changes that equation a little bit, is these guys are getting their threes basically by, like, coming around screens and stuff. You know, the, the Heat are not playing the Rockets style, where it's just pick and roll at the top, guy drives to the rim, kicks out to open three-point shooters. Like, that is not the way the Heat plays. Um, so for Struess to be that, you know, no, you know, like you said, he knows he had to go to Vegas to work on – shooting a variety of jump shots. And, again, we'll have to see it in the game. Um, you know, Duncan is great because he can – well, his his size certainly helps and his quick release and all that kind of stuff, but he's great because he makes tough shots um, and, you know, can shoot on the move and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen that in the NBA. We've not seen it yet necessarily from Struess. Um, but, again, you know, the Summer League is – we had a beautiful offseason this year. And with young guys, I think – Maybe we, it's easy to forget that how short the Heat's offseason was last year when you look at the way the young guys seem to be stagnant for the most part. Um, you know, whether it was Tyler Hero or, or even Duncan Robinson, I guess probably regressing a little bit statistically. Um, these guys have full offseason now, and we're used to 25 and under, 26 and under, 27 and under players coming back and being a little bit better, so... Um, and again, Struce, as we said, is an NBA player, so the next thing for him is just getting better. And um, I think there's reason to believe that he's going to be better in uh, the 2021-22 season than he was last year. Yeah, and and again, I'll say this, I'll say my prediction for the second straight week. I, I think Max Struce will be a member of the Heat rotation yeah, this season. I, I think it seems pretty obvious. Yeah. Because, you know, unless like Tyler Hero takes a massive leap. Um, and become, like, you know, goes from being a guy who is, like, a 
really good bench player to like legit starter all star level gotta play those minutes um then yeah they're gonna they're, they need shooting as we we've said a lot yeah yeah and and, and yeah exactly and max Schrus, he's one of the best shooters on the team he should be one of the best shooters on the team and and you saw yeah. that skill set in summer league um I mentioned the guard the point guards um Garrett and Giroux. I know you you came away pretty impressed with both of them. Um, just kind of as we run through the rest of the roster, who who are the names that coming out of camp, out of uh, summer league, intrigue you as guys who um, could play a role of some sort with the Heat this year? Yeah, obviously, Marcus Garrett and um, and and Dejan Jarreau, um were probably the two other most yeah. impressive guys just as guards. Um, they probably have two leading candidates for the Heat's two ways, which both of those spots are so empty. The Heat have not handed out a two way yet. Yep. Um, defensively, they're both very good. They're kind of like in the same mold. I would say Jerome's a little yeah. bit adva- more advanced offensively. Yeah, especially we talked about them guard. a lot last week. And, yeah. and it, it, the Heat clearly had a type they were looking for. Uh, yeah, when they were that was obvious. Regarding. That was obvious. Yeah, so, I mean, those two guys are, are, are the obvious ones. Um, other than that, I mean, I thought Micah Potter was pretty – uh, solid in summer league, like he has that big man, like three point shooter skill set that the Heat like. Um, he played well in the finale. He had a few threes. I think he had double digit rebounds. Um, just a big body who could shoot. So you know, that's I, I wouldn't be surprised if like he gets an exhibit ten and, and he finds his way to the Heat G League team next season. Um, and then the other one, just because the Heat signed him to an exhibit ten, uh, DJ Stewart, the undrafted guard oh, yeah. in Mississippi State, big guard. Um, really didn't play too much in Vegas after KZ, uh, you know, became available. But uh, they were impressed with him in Sacramento and what he did. He has, I think, he has close to a seven foot wingspan, like a six five, which is um, the Heat always loved those guys. Um, good, good rebounder for you know guard position. Still needs to improve offensively, um, but defensively he has you know he's he's solid. So he, he's he's the only guy so far that has signed an Exhibit Ten with the Heat which means he'll probably be in camp and which means he'll probably be on the G League team next season uh, in Sioux Falls. Um, and, and I guess we'll see which other, you know, which other guys get that same, get that same contract. Yeah, that one was, uh, that was a little surprising to me. But so is the idea there that basically like are Marcus Garrett and Dejan Giroux like holding out in case someone wants to give them like a, you know, in case the Heat don't give them a two-way spot or, like, in case someone kind of guarantees them something. Is that why they're able to get DJ Stewart? Because there's probably not a whole lot of clamoring necessarily for him. Because, like you said, he didn't play a lot in Vegas. He didn't get to showcase a lot. Yeah, I mean, that could be it. I, I, I can't act like I know for sure what's going on with those guys. I mean, that that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, I, I would think the Heat would try to lock them as fast as possible before another team gives them a two-way because those two guys were, you know, two of the more impressive undrafted guys, I think, in Vegas and in Uh Sacramento. Um, But, yeah, it it was a little bit of a surprise that DJ Stewart was the first one that got done. But oftentimes that's not a reflection of, like, the Heat. that's the first guy that Heat went to, right? It's just, like, the first one that Leo got done. Yeah. Um, I I, I would not be surprised, you know. I would actually expect in the coming days for more of those type of, whether it's an Exhibit 10 or even a two-way, for more of those deals to get done here in the coming days just because, you know, this is the time we do that, you know, because a lot of those guys are going to be signing with teams um, for camp in the coming weeks. Yeah. Do you think it makes sense for the Heat, as we said, uh, Giroux and Garrett, so similar as players, for them to both be the two-way guys and just take two swings at at this, like, defensive-minded third 
point guard? Like, do, do you think that kind of makes sense for where this team's roster stands? Yeah, you know, at first I was like, not really, because and especially with the Heat, like they they oftentimes like to only use like sign one guy to a right. two way before camp and then leave the other one open, like just to kind of um, create some type of competition in camp and a comp- you know the Heat and competition, like that's. They love that. So they, they, they want to keep it open so that way, you know, they have that kind of competition in camp with all the undrafted guys. And there's an incentive for those undrafted guys in camp um, to play well and, and, and really give maximum effort. Um, but, you know, it, you don't – like you could sign a guy to a two-way and then just wave him. Like there's no there's no like right. limit on two ways you could hand out. So if they want to like sign those two guys and keep them in their system right now – they could do that and just give them both the two ways. And if they decide in three weeks that, oh no, there's another guy out there that's a big man and, you know, we already have a guard on a two way. We're going to, we're going to release one of them and send the big man to a two way. They could do that. The only downside of that really is teams can get a reputation among undrafted and two way right. candidates of like, okay, are they just like yanking me around here? Like they're just going to release me. He have never really done that in the past. So this would be a first for them, but they could in this scenario where. Just do it and then make the decision later. Okay, we, we only want one of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other name we have not mentioned at all here, uh, Gabe Vincent, which I think, you know, he obviously did not play a lot in Summer League. Um, but, I don't know, what. just at this point, like, you know, it seems like he might have to be their backup point guard. Would you like to have, like, kind of seen more, or you, you feel like the Heat kind of know what they have with him? Yeah, he didn't play at all in summer league. He was around the team. I think he practiced right. a little bit with them. Um, Malik really commended his leadership and kind of what he did behind the scenes with these guys. I mean, he's obviously one of the more experienced NBA guys in the roster, even more experienced than Max Truce because yeah. I guess he's, he's a couple years under his belt. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, he helped in that way and he was around the team. Um, but I, I think, you know, just with – he was a he was the primary ball handler for Nigeria, like – he played a lot of minutes for that team. So I think they just want to rest him in. Like you said, I think they know kind of what they have at this point. I'm not saying he doesn't need to develop into more and he can't become better than he was last season, but I think they kind of know what he, what he probably has. probably more important than the uh... – Yeah, exactly. Like he's still got some court time with, with coaches and heat staff and, and got some workouts in. Um, so, yeah, I think it was more of a rest in, rest situation just kind of with, with the minutes and, uh-huh. and all the travel he logged going to Tokyo. Uh, last one, speaking of the Nigerian national team, uh, Casey Opala, um, we talked about it last week. It was not the best summer league for him. Where's your concern level at with the former second round pick? Well, I, I don't know if I'm concerned, quote unquote, but I didn't come away from this summer league necessarily encouraged. I would say like, I just kind of like, okay. You know, I think that he probably hoped it was a more productive summer league for him than it was. Um, the last game wasn't was good for him. Um, it was good that he ended on that note, and it kind of goes into True. this next month of preparation with kind of that positive performance. Because before that, I mean, it was rough. I mean, he had 25 points on 23% shooting and 23 from the field and 23% shooting on threes um, in the first four summer league games, and then finally on Tuesday in the finale. 16 points with, you know, on four or five shooting from three. So he finally broke out there and had a good shooting performance. And, you know, you we've seen it in spurts. Like, I think there was a preseason game and was against the Raptors, I think, in, in Tampa last year. Where, yeah, last year, I remember people yeah. were like, okay, we thought he was going to be a starter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we all were like, he's going to start next year, you know. So it's tough because he has these performances once in a while. But unfortunately for KZ up to this point, like, there have been more performances of the – one for six variety, you know, 
Um, so, you know, th- this was an important step for him. He had never been in summer, been part of summer league before. He's entering his third season, which is kind of crazy. Um, but in order to get playing time, yes, he's good defensively. He has versatility. He has a really unique skill set on the end of the court. He needs to make threes. He, he can't be playing next to Bam and Jimmy and not be a threat from deep. Um, so I think the most important thing for him this offseason is to become a better three-point shooter. We saw that in the final game, but the first four games, he did not shoot well from deep. So that's always going to be the question for, for him. Can he make threes consistently? Can he, be, can he at least make defenses respect him from three? Um, so far, he hasn't been able to do that, but, you know, maybe he maybe he can this season. We'll see. All right, uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with a couple other topics before we wrap up. All right, we are back. Um, last time we recorded, uh, Udonis Haslam had just finished sitting on the end of the Heat's bench. Um, it was... It was always inevitable he was coming back, but that was the day where it like kind of became inevitably inevitable. Um, a couple of days later, he resigns at the Heat and an all-time Pat Riley press release, really an all-time press release of any kind. Um, what? <laughs> first of all, what do you think of that? How excited Pat seemed to be bringing uh, UD back uh, to sit on the end of the bench again? I liked it. I mean, I just I wish I could like see that unfold, like the statement unfold of him screaming, Mr. Miami is back with the exclamation point. And a, and a video of him, uh, yeah. a video press release or something, right? And it, and it wasn't just Mr. Miami is back exclamation point. It, and then there was a yes exclamation point. So it was just, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a cla- It was one of those statements you remember. Um, very, very, Pat was very excited and happy um, about UD returning. And, you know, I think, I think that, honestly, I think the organization is happy he's back. Like, Spo has not, has kind of made it clear that he doesn't want Udonis Haslam to retire anytime soon. Um, he says it every year, like, you know, I'm going to try to get him to come back because, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but Eric Spolstra has yet to coach a team without Udonis Haslam on the roster. Yeah. And without Udonis Haslam's leadership to help him kind of in the locker room. Um, so, from that regard, I think it's a positive. I know, you know, there's people on Twitter that will say he's taking up a roster spot, especially with Victor Oladipo out for the first however months of the season. Like, and with he with you know staying with 14 guys um, to stay below the tax. Like at this point, you have really t- essentially 12 players on the roster right. that are available, plus the two league, two way guys if you're going to depend on them. Um, that's not a lot, so depth is going to be an issue. But my point is like. It, I don't know. I, I think we make sometimes too much of like the 14th guy on the roster. Like if if you're getting to a point where the 14th or 15th guy is trying to play big minutes because of injuries or because of a lack of depth, you're in trouble anyway, right? So um, I, I think it is. I think Donis Haslam's uh, leadership is important. I think he will help all the new guys on the roster kind of get used to what the, the Heat way and be an advocate for the Heat way and. Bam and him are like inseparable. Like they're very yeah. close. So he's important they to Bam. Well. Next to each other, multiple games in Vegas. Yeah, right? yeah, they're they're very very close. So him and Bam, like he's important to Bam's development. Um, so I, I don't think you can discount UD's importance to the team just because he doesn't play much anymore. Because he is, you know, by all accounts, very important, you know, to the team uh, behind the scenes. Anthony, you can't say we, we spent too much time talking about the 14th man on the roster after we just spent 30 minutes breaking down uh, Omer Yurtsevin. Well, that, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But I'm saying when you uh, – No, I get it. I, I get it. And, you know, these guys are developmental guys, right, obviously, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But, I'm saying, like, when you're talking about wins and losses with right. the team and, how, like, 
how it's going to affect the bottom line. I, I don't know how mu- how much of a swing like getting. I don't I don't know. Jeff Teagan for Udonis Haslam would make a huge difference at this right. point. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the the average 14th or 15th man in the NBA, like probably provides negative value when they're on the court. Udonis included. Like that's why he never gets on the court. Um, like you know, if so, Udonis Haslam, if he first of all, if you just never put him on the court, he doesn't provide that negative value or whatever. And and there is a calculus, right? That you know, it's an uh, undefinable math equation that happens behind the scenes that says Udonis is worth X amount of wins because of what he does in the locker room, behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the Heat clearly believe that whatever he provides uh, is more valuable than whatever stereotypical 14th man uh, would provide through his playing ability. Again, like, is Jeff Teague really going to provide more than, like, half a win or whatever, like, to put it in kind of baseball terms? Probably not. And if he does, then, you know, if he's he's playing enough to provide more than half a win, then you're in trouble, like you said. Um, UD is – can not get on the court at all, let better players basically be on the court. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the Heat thinks he uh, he helps them, obviously, behind the scenes more than any any other guy in his spot could on the court. Question, it's David. It's like it's impossible for us to, like, know whether they're yeah. right. Um, but, so we just got to kind of take their word for it. Right, and they also know more than us, right? Like, right, exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. the ones who see it. We don't. You know, we only hear it from them and, and you know their experiences. But my question to you is: Do they? Does Udonis get to twenty-two seasons and tie Vince Vince's NBA record? What do you think? What is he at now? This is nineteen. This is going to be nineteen. So he'd have to play three more seasons That's after this. Carter. That's a lot for a guy who hasn't been a meaningful NBA player basically a decade. But you would have said that three seasons ago, probably. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if he does that, but I, I could see him going like to 20, right? I think he'd love to get to around 20, right? Yeah, which now, is pretty easy. Now, of course, like the, it, it is always possible. You know, we talked about this a lot, is that, you know, we kind of all thought he was going to retire two seasons ago, and then COVID happened, and he never got to have his send-off. And then last year, obviously, was just an unusual season uh, from start to finish. Never got to have his send off. Maybe, you know, maybe UD is waiting for that send off, and that that you know this will be it. Maybe he would have retired two years ago. Yeah, and and you know, it's impossible the, to know at this point. Yeah, we don't know what's going through his decision, but it is. I mean, he's the twenty first player in NBA history to play at least nineteen seasons. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty like, and if he plays one more, like it is wild that like you know in '06 when they win the championship, when he was really young back then, it was like his third year or something, right? Um, or maybe four. I don't know. It was, it was he was young at that point. Yeah, I think it was like his third or fourth year. Or it was a huge year. part of a championship team, and then I don't know, by the big three era, he was like kind of an afterthought. And it's been ten years since the big th- big three era happened. Um, he's 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 hung on. It's pretty yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, the, he had that foot injury during the big three era, which kind of limited him and and kind of changed his career. Honestly, like that was yeah. a serious injury. Um. And he, he hasn't really been like the Udonis Haslam. Just like a, like a, it marked a chapter in his career because he was a different player after that injury. Um, but it is it's just a testament to him and kind of uh, him as a leader and as a team captain. I know it's cliche, but the fact that he's hung around for this long 
like you said, for the last decade, yeah. um, when he hasn't really gotten much playing time in the last three or four seasons or five seasons, it's a testament to his value in other ways. Um, so there has to be a reason to keep bringing him back. Um, it's pretty clear what it is at this point. And at this point, it looks like he's going to retire when he wants to retire. Like the Heat are not going to force him out. That's for sure. Um, I think that's become pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, if he gets to 22 seasons, like Vince did it because Vince is a Hall of Famer and was pretty useful up until the end there. Um, you know, like he transformed himself into being a pretty like decent three-point shooter, and um, obviously he was bringing some of that same veteran stuff that is, that is why Haslam is hanging around. Um, but, yeah, UD, like if he gets to 22 seasons, more than half of his career will have basically been as like a bit player. On the court, but obviously a, a monstrous figure off of it. So uh, he's had a truly one of a kind career, um, and I think most people, are, you know, when he gets to come into the game once and have his, uh, you know, Joel Embiid brawl or whatever is going to happen this year, people will be be glad he's around. They're all for. It. And one more thing to put kind of what Udonis Hasmid is doing in context. There's he's the fifth player to spend an entire NBA career lasting at least nineteen seasons with one team. The others, Dirk Nowitzki, twenty one seasons, Kobe, twenty seasons, John Stockton, nineteen seasons, Tim Duncan, nineteen seasons. Four Hall of Famers. Yeah. Um well I guess in Dirk's case he's gonna be a Hall of Famer. And Udonis is the fifth guy on that list. Like that's a pretty exclusive list and again, like I don't know, like, do you think Udonis Haslam would be on that list if he wasn't from Miami? Do you think the fact that he's from Miami, Miami? makes him, like, like, I mean, I guess he would have left, right? He probably would have left if he wasn't from here to, like, get more money somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like we said, when he kind of fell out of, uh, yeah, I don't remember what his contract situation was early in his career. Obviously, he was an undrafted guy, so I don't know what, um, you know, what he was making, what he was offered, all that kind of stuff um, in the, basically, the 2000s. But, yeah, I mean... Once that big three, you know, like we said, once he kind of fell out of the rotation with the big three, and um, yeah, maybe he would have gone somewhere to try to like re recapture his past glory, right? You know, some teams, I assume, some team would have given him a chance to be like their backup power forward, even after some of the injuries. You know, it, if you go back to like the early two twenty tens. Right, like 2012, 2013, when he played 18 minutes a game, um, coming off an injury, basically, or you know, those two years he was basically coming off an injury, the two uh, championship years. Um, you know, would it would a team have been like, all right, let's let's see what he can do in an even bigger role? Like, let's see if if he's got some of his old ability left. Um, then yeah, maybe he wouldn't maybe he wouldn't have stuck around. Yeah, just just a very unique, very unique career, very unique role. I think just for Udonis, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, last one before we go, Vegas. Uh, speaking of Vegas, uh, has the Heat as the fourth best team in the East behind the Nets, Bucks, and Seventy Sixers? Do you agree? I think that's fair. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I know, when I when I tweeted that list, um, a lot of Heat fans were saying behind Philly. Like, how could that be? Philly's a mess. And, but I think we'll forget that Philly had the best record in the East last season. Yeah. <laughs> like the, in the regular season, they were dominant. Um, so. Probably should have gone to the conference finals if like Ben Simmons' brain doesn't break. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's like unreasonable to have Philly ahead of Miami at this point. Um, but I think Miami's in that range. I think they're like four. I think they, you could maybe make a point, uh, make a case for them at three ahead of Philly. 
But at this point, I, I would probably put Philly ahead of Miami too, just because of what they accomplished last year in the regular season. And again, um, you know, like you said, they might, they probably should have made the conference finals last year if, yeah. if Ben Simmons plays like he usually does. Um, and then right behind Miami on that Vegas list is Boston at five, Atlanta at six. Um, so yeah, I think those are the teams that they're going to be like kind of competing with in that mid, in the middle of the East. Like I think most people would say Brooklyn, Milwaukee, the top two teams in the East at this point. And then yeah, it's I, mean, like I think it's, Philly, it's, it Miami, doesn't really Boston, matter yeah. because it's one, two, then everyone else, right? Yeah. I, I think the Nets and Bucks are so clearly uh, ahead of everyone else, and then I think the Sixers, the Heat, the Celtics. I guess you throw the, the Hawks in there. Um, you the know, Bulls and the Knicks are the next Bulls or the yeah. Knicks, like kind of get up in there. Um, everyone else is kind of on their on a same sort of tier. Like you know, are the, are the Sixers, Heat. Um, and Celtics probably have the best track record at this point that makes you feel like they, they're the kind of top tier of that next group, but there's a lot of, a lot of teams in that mix. And I think it's reasonable to expect the Heat to finish anywhere from like three to six, basically. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that's kind of their range. So that's why I think four is fair for the Heat. In the West, I thought, you know, I, I'm not surprised by this, but they have the Lakers number one and Golden State two and the Suns three. How do you feel about that? It's LeBron respect, which, you know, is probably, you know, especially, again, like, it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, if the Lake, if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt, you know, do the Lakers win the championship last year? Like, possible, right? Yeah. Um, the West is wide open, I think, to an extent the East is not. Um, and maybe doesn't even have the same level of top-end teams that the East does now. Um, because, you know, the Lakers have huge, huge question marks. Um, the Suns, you know, there's always going to be the question of when will Chris Paul fall off. Um, you know, Golden State, though, with yeah, Clay coming Warriors back. Warriors are obviously yeah. hanging around out there. We have no idea what they're going to look like. Um, other than they're probably going to be pretty good. Um, but, but what their ceiling is is a question. Um, you know, the Nuggets, obviously, we're, we're waiting to see what Jamal Murray looks like. But, uh, you know, he's going to miss most of the season, I guess. Um, the, the Same with the Clippers, with Kawhi. Um, yeah, there, there's a, they, the top end teams there have way more question marks, I think, than the top end East teams do. Um, you know, the ceiling for like, they probably have like five or six teams who have like a really high championship level ceiling. Whereas in the East, there's a clear top two. And then I think, like I said, the Heat, Celtics, Sixers, we kind of have a, an idea of what those teams are going to look like and probably need some things to break the right way to win a championship. Um, but yeah, the East just, and, you know, I I think we tend to kind of think this going into most seasons and then obviously things shake out differently. But the East, I, I kind of feel pretty good about, like, knowing what it, it's going to sort of look like. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, yeah, I think there are, just because of, like, the injury, all the injuries in the West, I mean, like, whether it was an injury last year that derailed the season or um, or just injury questions about kind of guys coming back this season, there are, like, a lot of question marks pretty much with every, almost every team. Like I said, the Lakers, the Warriors, the Suns, the Clippers, even the Jazz. Like, there's always the question of the Jazz, especially after they had that great season last year and were eliminated in the playoffs pretty early on. Yeah. Like, does their game translate to the playoffs? And that's that's been a looming question over that team for the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, the West has some good teams, but I, I think, like you said, I think the Nets and Bucks, if they stay healthy, like, they're obviously, you know, the class of the East at this point. Yeah. All right, I think we can wrap things up there. Uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. Uh, check out all of his work from Vegas on the Summer League. Uh, you got anything else coming before the end of the week? 
Yes. Um, something on KZ today could just kind of wrap up Summer League. Um, and a few other Summer League stories that I had uh, planned before I go on vacation next week that I want to put out there. So there'll be some a couple other Summer League uh, uh, content uh, to come your way, even though it finished yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Anthony's on vacation next week. So who knows if we'll be back next week. We'll figure that out. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see what kind of news is out there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. It is fully football season. Um, so I am, I'm back from Vegas. I am, I'm fully back on the, uh, UM, the high school football, uh, probably a little dolphins here and there. The football beat in South Florida. Uh, so you can follow me there. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for listening and, uh, we will talk to you guys next week.